0: From Hollywood, I'm Martin Grove, welcoming you to our Screen Dollars podcast, Box Office Autopsy. Right now, we'll look at the movie marketplace and analyze how things are going and where they're going sharing some opinions from my perspective after decades of talking about Hollywood on CNN Entertainment Tonight and as a Hollywood Reporter columnist. had Labor Day weekend off, with no new high-profile films hitting theaters. Actually, everything old was new again. The only wide studio opening was Sony and Marvel's reissue of Spider-Man No Way Home, The More Fun Stuff, which opened last December in its original version, and is now in Weekend 29. The weekend's other top film was Paramount and Skydance Media's Tom Cruise blockbuster Top Gun Maverick, which opened back in May and is now in Weekend 15. Between them, Spidey and Maverick topped the Labor Day chart, but thanks to National Cinema Day boosting Saturday movie going with its deeply discounted tickets, Sunday morning saw a close race between the two films. Spidey was leading for three days, but some media pundits were giving Maverick a shot at being first for the four-day holiday weekend. Comscore reported that data shows a box office boost of 100% on Saturday versus Friday for the overall marketplace, unquote, thanks to National Cinema Day. The event reportedly brought in about 8.1 million admissions at $3 apiece. Analysts noted that it cut significantly into Friday ticket sales, and could also take some business away from Sunday. Focus features R-rated comedy Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, was the only movie on this weekend's tracking, and there's no good spin to put on its numbers. All of its first-choice demos are below norm, adult women like it most, but even they are two points below norm. With an average score that's four points below norm, Honk wasn't making much box office noise. On today's Box Office Autopsy, we'll check out the return of Spidey and Maverick, as well as Honk's debut. We'll also keep looking ahead to find something besides horror films to bring moviegoers back to cinemas. Then, in our Oscar Outlook Spotlight, we'll focus on Chris Rock turning down the Academy's offer to host the 2023 Oscars. But we start today with Spidey, who captured first place again in Weekend 29 with $6 million at 3,935 theaters and $7.6 million projected for four days. Its domestic cum is now $812.3 million dollars. 7.6 million doesn't sound like much until you remember that Spider-Man No Way Home, which opened last December 17th, has grossed over $1.9 billion worldwide. Maverick, which opened last May 27th, was a close second with five and a half million for three days, and an amazing seven million projected for four days at 3,113 theaters. Its domestic cum is now 700.3 million, which means it will soon be passing Disney and Marvel's Black Panther, which has done 700.4 million domestic. Hawk, to no one's surprise, didn't get any kind of box office miracle. It opened in 14th place to a million four at 1882 theaters, and a million seven five projected for four days. Critics gave it a just okay 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, and audiences were thumbs way, way down at 25%. So word of mouth won't save the day. Universal and Amblin's Jaws, the original summer blockbuster, opened 10th to two million three for three days and a projected 2.7 million for four days at 1,246 theaters. When it opened originally June 20th, 1975, it was playing in 409 theaters, which was a very, very wide run then that had been put together to give Jaws an all-new type of wide release. Spielberg reportedly made jaws on a big budget for the time of 7 million dollars. It opened to 7.1 million huge business then and became a 260 million dollar domestic blockbuster in its initial release. Its domestic cum is now 266.2 million in weekend 2464. With so little going on this weekend, the overall marketplace was only 53.1 million for 3 days per Comscore. That's up 0.3% from the prior weekend's very modest ticket sales of 52.7 million comscore is also reporting that ticket sales dropped fourteen point four percent from the comparable weekend in twenty twenty one when many domestic cinemas were closed because of the pandemic although you might think not having any openings of high-profile big studio movies would be a great opportunity for specialty films to find their audience that really wasn't the case Roadside Attractions, PG-13, Family, Drama, Gigi and Nate opened at 1184 theaters to 1.1 million for three days. Critics hated it with a grim 18% on RT, but audiences applauded it with 97% which could help in Weekend 2. This quick scene will tell you if it goes on your must-see list.
1: What monkey?
2: They got a pet monkey. Hey, I was going to tell you that we have decided that what we...
3: Mom, you said that you were just thinking about it.
2: She's not a pet. She's a service animal. You
3: can't keep a freaking monkey in the house.
2: Says who? You don't live here anymore. Where is it? Katie!
3: Katie, there is a protocol to all this, and you are not supposed to just go up there. You're going to freak her out. Katie, are you listening? Oh, my God. Never mind. You keep her in a cage.
1: It's not a cage. It's her house. She likes it. wouldn't do that if I were you.
3: <laughs> Look, see, you don't disturb her when she's eating. Basic monkey 101.
0: Looking ahead, don't expect to find anything opening that's remotely exciting for many weeks to come. On the immediate horizon, next weekend to be precise, There's nothing opening wide except Searchlight Pictures' R-rated horror thriller Barbarian from first-time feature director Zach Kreger, who also wrote the screenplay. Georgina Campbell stars as a young woman who arrives at her rented Airbnb house to find a strange man, Bill Skarsgård, already there, Against her better judgment, she decides to spend the rainy night there anyway. Here's Zach Kreiger talking about what went into developing the film. The inspiration for
1: this was really just to surprise myself. You know, I, I came up with the idea of a double-booked Airbnb and the inherent danger that any woman would have when they have to decide: I'm either gonna gonna you know cohabitate for the evening with this with a strange man, or I could sleep in my car. You know, that's 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 a not a good choice uh, that anyone should have to make, and so I knew that um, I could load a lot of tension into into that setup. And then, as I was writing, I just had one rule for myself, which was that if I don't know what's going to happen, there's no way the audience could know what's going to happen. So I just I just tried to follow my nose and surprise myself, and um, and I can confidently say that um, it is a surprising story because I I I didn't know where it was going to go. Well, I think that. I think that balancing humor and horror is um, is not as difficult as as uh, as it may seem. You know, they're so similar um, things. You know, the anatomy of a joke is is almost the same as the anatomy of a scare. It's all about building tension or building tone. Uh, it's all about timing, and it's all about zigging when the audience expects you to zag. So um, I feel like I've been kind of working on this for a long time, in one shape or another, through my through my. Uh, experience with comedy Uh, and then as far as policing myself uh, I really didn't I just kind of wrote what was fun to write and and uh, I just trusted myself so I I tried not to think too much about where it was you know if it was getting too heavy in one direction or the other I I just um, I just I just pretty much figured I'd probably pull it off and and if I didn't I'd figure it out
0: if you've had enough horror this summer to last nine lives, and would prefer a few laughs instead, Lionsgate's limited release of Quirks 3, starting September 13th, might be the answer. It's written and directed by Kevin Smith, writer and director of the 1994 Quirks, as well as its 2006 sequel. He played Silent Bob in the first two episodes, as well as in the new sequel. Opposite Ben Affleck, Rosario Dawson, and Sarah Michelle Gellar, plus Jason Mewes, who's back as Jay. Also on board again is Jeff Anderson as Randall Graves, who had a falling out with his longtime friend Smith back in 2017 over the early screenplay for this sequel. Anderson dropped out and Smith scrapped the script, and then made Jay and Silent Bob Reboot without Anderson. Two weeks before Reboot's release, Smith wound up spending a day signing Clerks Movie Memorabilia with Muse and Anderson. Unexpectedly, they worked out their differences, prompting Smith to write a new screenplay that Anderson liked. Which brings us to Corks 3, whose storyline is about making a movie about the convenience store where it all began. Here's a quick scene that will help you decide if you want to see it or skip it.
3: Well, if you know what's wrong, then I guess I can go home.
0: Are you the doctor?
3: I'm the doctor, Dr. Leidenheim. I'll be your savior this evening. <laughs>
2: what no
3: i apologize for my wardrobe i just came from my costume ball
2: listen doc i'm okay i just i can't catch my breath is all
3: on a scale of one to ten how bad would you say your pain level is my
2: pain level it's like a negative three
3: well you're doing it all wrong you're supposed to be in a lot of pain when you have a heart attack
2: wait a minute i had a heart attack
3: no that's not what i said you misunderstood me
2: oh thank christ
3: you're having a heart attack right now as we speak a massive one so we have to act pretty quickly I just wish I wasn't so hungover. Oh. I'm kidding! What? I'm going to go get all glammed up for our big date and I'll see you in the OR. Look at me. Uh-huh. Everything's going to be fine. All right?
0: Good. All right.
3: He's not going to make it.
0: Of course, if you're hoping to find something new that resembles Mature Entertainment for Adults, that's still months away. However, if you'll settle for a reissue of Mature Entertainment for Adults, There's Disney and 20th Century's James Cameron classic Avatar, now in IMAX, starting September 23rd. That, of course, is perfect timing to get audiences in the mood to see the all-new James Cameron sequel, Avatar The Way of Water, opening in IMAX December 16th. In case you've forgotten any of the key talking points about the 2009 Avatar, here's a quick catch-up that should sound familiar.
2: Pandora. A world of wonder and mystery. Incredible danger and strange beauty. From Earth's southern hemisphere, you can see the solar system where Pandora is located. Alpha Centauri. At a distance of 4.4 light-years from Earth, the Alpha Centauri system is our nearest stellar neighbor. The largest of its two sun-like stars, Alpha Centauri A, or ACA to astronomers, is Pandora's Sun. Pandora is one of many moons orbiting the planet Polyphemus, a gas giant planet the size of Saturn. Pandora's toxic atmosphere makes it uninhabitable by humans tropical rainforest covers a large part of each of the continents. These rainforests are similar to those that once covered the Amazon basin, but on a scale several times the size of anything on Earth. A wide variety of animals can be found throughout Pandora, awe-inspiring and dangerous. Most animals, including the winged creatures of the sky, are hexapods, six-limbed, except the humanoid, Navi, standing 9 to 10 feet tall. The dire horse is a six-legged behemoth used by the Navi for hunting and trekking. The Navi also use the banshee to hunt from the air. But hunter can become prey in the presence of the even larger, great Leonopteryx. In the canopy below, Other vicious predators roam, packs of viper wolves, thick-skinned hammerhead titanotherus, and the most fearsome land predator, the
0: thanator. And while we're talking about sequels, let's not forget Eddie Murphy's upcoming sequel to his 1984 blockbuster Beverly Hills Cop. Murphy may follow in Tom Cruise's golden box office footsteps with what will be COP4, but it may not matter to exhibitors. Unlike Cruise's sequel, Top Gun Maverick, which grossed over $1.4 billion worldwide, Murphy's Beverly Hills cop Axel Foley won't be a paramount theatrical release, The original Beverly Hills Cop and its 1987 and 1994 sequels were Paramount movies. Netflix acquired the rights to what's become Axel from Paramount in November 2019 as the first of several films to be made by the studio for the streamer. Paramount had begun developing this sequel way back in 2013. No one knows at this point if Axel will get a theatrical release, but Netflix certainly isn't known for doing that. Axel from first-time feature director Mark Malloy stars Murphy, who's also a producer, and Taylor Page, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like Maverick, one of its producers is the legendary Jerry Bruckheimer, who also was a producer with his partner, the late Don Simpson, of Paramount's first two Beverly Hills Cop episodes. Beverly Hills Cop 3 was produced by Mace Newfeld and Robert Ramey. Murphy, like Cruz, is an 80s icon who still has a huge following and a high-profile sequel to propel him to new heights. Molloy, a rising talent, is a lucky guy, having replaced directors Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fallah, who directed the 2020 hit Bad Boys for Life, on which Bruckheimer was a producer. But they left Axel to make Batgirl for Warner Brothers, a $90 million project that was to have been an HBO Max original. Instead, it just got scrapped by Warner Discovery CEO David Zavlov in a Hollywood bloodbath that will be talked about for years to come. Meanwhile, let's crank up our Oscar Outlook Spotlight and check out the latest awards action. It looks like the Academy's between a rock and a hard place. They had the right idea asking Chris Rock to host the 2023 Oscars, but they didn't get him to say yes. In Hollywood, that usually means they didn't offer enough money. But since Hollywood rule number one is to never take the first no, they should make him a new offer he won't refuse. Rock confirmed he said no, and made a tasteless joke that it was like asking Nicole Simpson to return to the restaurant that inadvertently led to her murder. Well, it's a mistake for Rock to skip the Oscar limelight that would bring him much Hollywood goodwill for coming back. Rock hosting next year is a definite ratings boost the Academy won't find elsewhere. His return, after his on-stage smack from Oscar winner Will Smith, would be the best way to attract viewers to a bloated awards show about movies they likely haven't seen. ABC's warning last year that the Oscar telecast can't run over three hours fell on deaf Academy ears, coming in at 3 hours 40 minutes. That fourth hour lowers the night's average rating, which doesn't help ABC sell commercials with Prime Plus pricing. It should help that since March 27th's Oscar debacle, the Academy now has much better leadership. Hopefully they'll be able to sign, rock, and make the 95th Oscars the special event it should be. Well, that's a wrap for today's box office autopsy, but we'll be back again next week to see how Barbarian opens, and in our Oscar Outlook Spotlight, we'll keep you posted on the latest awards happenings. So please join us again then, and thanks very much for listening. Time now for our film flashback look at what was happening in Hollywood right around now, way back then. Let's set today's time travel dial for... September 5th, 1939. Sean Connery was succeeded twice as James Bond. Roger Moore is best remembered for doing so in 1973's Live and Let Die. But George Lazenby did it five years earlier after Connery quit for the first time. Lazenby, who was born September 5, 1939, in Australia, had no acting experience aside from commercials, when Bond producers Harry Saltzman and Albert Brockley hired him for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. While he was eager to play 007 then, he's famous now for having walked away from the role despite having a seven-picture Bond deal. Lazenby's strategy to become Bond brought him to Connery's London Barber and Taylor, so he'd have a Connery-type look when he first met the producers. As luck had it, Broccoli also used Connery's Barber and saw Lazenby there, and reported we thought he had a Bond look. Lazenby spent some of his last pounds at the time buying a bespoke suit that had been cut for Connery but hadn't been picked up. Thus armed, Lazenby met with Saltzman Broccoli and Peter Hunt, who was directing service after having edited early bonds like Dr. No, from Russia with Love, and Goldfinger. After bluffing about his acting credits, Lazenby got a screen test during which he told Hunt he'd made everything up and really wasn't an actor. Hunt, however, laughed. You just strolled in here and managed to fool two of the most ruthless bastards in the business. You're an actor. When Connery exited after 1967's You Only Live Twice, Saltzman and Broccoli were going to say Bond needed plastic surgery because he'd become too recognizable to work undercover. They didn't do that, but did include an inside joke in the pre-credits scene where Bond saves a mysterious woman from drowning, but she then speeds away in her convertible, leaving Lazenby to protest into the camera. This never happened to the other fellow. Lazenby quit just before service had its royal premiere in London. He'd come to believe that youth appeal films like The Graduate and Easy Rider would be the most popular type of movies in the 70s. Lazenby confided to his agent his doubts about playing Bond, and when that got back to the producers, they were, understandably, quite unhappy. Despite Lazenby's seven Bond film Offer, and a signed letter of intent for Diamonds Are Forever, it all ended. The producer's first choice for the next Bond was Burt Reynolds, who wasn't available. Adam West passed because he felt Bond should be British. So they signed John Gavin, who'd recently played a French spy in a European thriller. Then, Connery unexpectedly agreed to be handsomely overpaid to return as Bond. Of course, they now also had to pay Gavin in full to not play Bond. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another box office autopsy next week. In Hollywood for Screen Dollars, I'm Martin Grove.